What an incredible privilege. Run. Okay. What an incredible privilege we have to be able to hold in our hands a book that is God's word. If you look at, if you study church history, of course, the printing press wasn't invented until the mid-1400s. And then very, very few, most of the, the copies of translations that came into people's hands, they had to secretly find them and seek them out. Because if it was known that they had it, they could be executed to have a Bible. And we had people who were executed for the sin of translating the Bible into, into their, the native tongues of the people that they lived amongst. And here we have it. How dare we, as our brother said, if we have a dust-covered Bible that people actually gave their lives that we might have, what a terrible thing, what a terrible waste that is. There's nothing more beautiful than a worn-out Bible. Because it means that the person who has worn out that Bible is, can truly be a walking spokesman or spokeswoman or child for that message. Well, here in the book of Hebrews, as we've been going through this letter, it's been... Difficult, not because the message is difficult, but because the people receiving this letter are in difficulty. As we have seen from the beginning portion, and we will see especially towards the close of the letter, <clears throat> these are people who have experienced great persecution. This is principally a Jewish background congregation in North Africa. They were the author of Hebrews, and we, I state this from the earliest testament, testimony from the early church about the third century. It was that companion of Paul, Barnabas. And he is writing from Italy, but he's writing a Christ, this letter is going back to North Africa where he had ministered to this people. And they had come to faith in Christ. They had been a vibrant con congregation, a loyal congregation that has endured deep, intense persecution. They have paid a significant price. And towards the close of the letter, he's going to talk to them about their hands that are hanging down, their knees that are feeble. Why? Because they've experienced persecution. And as a result of that persecution that came for them, why did it come to them? Because they steadfastly, clearly took a stand for Jesus. And they were rejected by their co-religionists from their former religion, also their environment. The pagan environment was not friendly to the gospel because it was a threat. It was a threat to people who were in power. Don't ever forget the main reason so many religions stand in this world today is because there are elite peoples who get their power and their fortunes from the functioning of those religions. And so 
If you break off from that, you become, by your example, a threat to them. Because if others follow you, they lose money. They lose power. And these people have been loyal to the message that they received, the gospel message. They, they follow Christ, but they have suffered a lot. And as a result, there is a cult, a Jewish background cult, that is attracting them. Why? For the simple reason that if you add anything to the gospel, the persecution goes away. What is the gospel? Gospel is this, the bad news. We're all sinners. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who seeks. Left to ourselves, we do not seek after God. The only reason we seek after God is because he sought after us first. That's the bad news. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But God, but God, so loved the world. He so loved his enemies. He so loved those who were as unlike him as we could possibly be morally. We were as unlike, we were rebels and delighted in our rebellion, delighted in our sin, and he still loved us. And he demonstrated his love for us and that while we were still sinners, God the Son became flesh became fully man, true God of true God, true man of true man, joined together in one person and demonstrated the reality of his holiness and it brought him to a cross. And while on that cross, he did what John the Baptist said of him. What did John the Baptist say to his disciples? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And when Jesus was nailed to that wooden altar, which is what the cross was, he was nailed to that wooden altar. All of the guilt of the entire human race was poured out upon him. And he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It became dark in the middle of the day from noon till about three in the afternoon. It became unnaturally dark in the middle of the day. And then he said, it is finished. It is paid in full. And that literally, that word to telestai that he cries out, we translated it as finished, means it is paid in full. He had just finished paying the sin debt of the human race. And then he dismissed his spirit into the hands of the Father. And instantly, there was an earthquake. And people came out of the tombs. And the centurion, truly, this is the Son of God. He'd witnessed how many crucifixions he had never seen a crucifixion like this he had heard this man on that cross say father forgive them he had never heard a person experiencing crucifixion forgive anybody he'd only heard curses and he heard words from jesus lips that he the centurion who governed the nailings, would be forgiven? Truly, this was the Son of God. Jesus paid the penalty for our sin so that His Holy Father would have complete, perfect freedom 
to forgive us. All we have to do is say, please. The work is done. As we say with that wonderful chorus, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. And so we can experience a glad welcome into the presence of the holy God. That's the gospel. That was the message that these people had received and had been voicing to their fellows for many years. But they have also experienced, because of their loyalty to Jesus, they had experienced intense persecution. And they allowed their Bibles to get dusty. They became focused on their pain instead of the one who would be with them in that pain and would relieve that pain. Their Bibles had become dusty. And he, that's, he, he will say that to them. Look at the passage with me right now. I'm Hebrews 5.12. And he's been laying out truth to them, advanced truth. And he says, oh, wait, 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 wait. I forgot that you're, you, you've gone back to being babes. You've gone back from that place where you were making progress and you were demonstrating enormous, wonderful, admirable maturity and you closed your Bibles, they became dusty and now you're back to where you were at the beginning. So now we've got to restart, remind you, and he says in 5.12, for though by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. You've actually regressed to an infant diet. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. The more you're in the Word, the more you are walking with the Lord as the Word instructs you to walk, the more discerning you become, the more wise you become, not just in your understanding, but in your choices and the words that you use with other people. You become wise, but if you close your book, close your Bible, and, it become, and you neglect it, you actually revert to babyhood. But solid food belongs to those who are at full age. That is, those who by reason of use, the more you're in the Word, the more you're crying out to the God of the Word. And I love the fact, let me tell you something that's really great. And I, 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 every Gideon says this. This is, and what did our brother say? When you open this book, this is the only book that the author of the book is present with you to make it, it clear to you. Isn't that amazing? He is there with you. And you become discerning and you become mature. But if you close it up, you lose that and you go back. You lose ground. And you have to then relearn. But solid food belongs to those who are full age. 
That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised because they've been in the word. They've been understanding it and implementing it in their lives to discern both good and evil. Therefore, now what he's doing is he's encouraging them to blow the dust off their Bibles, get back on track, and go back onto the road to maturity. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, to maturity, not laying aside, again, the foundation of repentance from dead works. When you come to faith in Jesus Christ, one of the issues you have to do, especially, remember, it's the letter to the Hebrews. What was the main core behavior expected of a Jewish person in the first century. I am so neat. I am so tidy. I am such a wonderful law keeper. I don't let foods that are forbidden in God's word to enter my mouth. I don't. But it see, it was all for a show. It's all for a show. And they have walked, they've turned away from that. What does he say? Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying aside the, laying again the foundation of repentance from dead work. When they came out of the neat and tidy Judaism of their day and became Christians, what were they doing? They were leaving behind dead works. Works that actually looked quite good to the human race, but to God they went, oh, please, I am not impressed by human righteousness. Those are dead works. Not laying, again, the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, So you turn away from your dead works and turn to God. Well, that's a good thing, but we don't need to keep talking about the same thing day after day after day. We need to move on of the doctrine of baptisms, of the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. These are the first principles in the gospel presentation and the very first things you learn on days one and two of stepping into God's kingdom. Let's move on. And by the way, he's already introduced the subject of Melchizedek. Folks, that's more like phys- Christian physics, okay? So we're going to be moving on. He's, he's taught, he introduced the subject. Now he's saying, okay, stop, wait a minute. I forgot. I'm talking to knuckleheads. I'm talking to knuckleheads. Can you leave off from your knuckleheadedness and retrench and open up your Bibles and get with me so we can go on to the Christian physics, which is Melchizedek? Can we do that? That's what he's saying to them. Will you, will you join me? Because I'm going to tell you, Jesus is a priest forever after the order of men. I'm going to talk to you about the access you have for God that no, even the high priest of Judaism doesn't have the access that you have. Because you have a priest not like that one there in Jerusalem. You have Jesus as your high priest, and he is a priest, and he's, then he had to stop. Oh, wait a minute, I forgot, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to babies here. So he's, at this parenthetical time, rebuking them 
and we're with them in this rebuke. Now, we're going to go on. Verse 3, and this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened, and by the way, in this letter, to be enlightened, that is his word, that is the word of Barnabas for stepping into the kingdom. Uh, in chapter 10, verse 32, he makes this statement. But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, enlightened, you endured a great struggle of sufferings. And to be enlightened is... Barnabas' word for being brought into the kingdom. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened, brought into the kingdom, and tasted the heavenly gift. And when you were brought into the kingdom, you tasted God's good food. You tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, partners. In chapter 3, verse 1, that same word is used. It says, therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. We are part. What were you called to? By the true and living God who sent his son to the cross to pay sin's penalty for you, who raised his son to the right hand of power. You were called to become partners. You were called to the head table. When you step into God's presence, there's going to be a place for you at the head table. That's what he's invited you to. Partakers of the Holy Spirit, you have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. Those who have done this, if they fall away, he's already said it's impossible for those who've experienced all this, if they fall away, to renew them to repentance, since they crucified to themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. What's he saying? Is it is impossible for them to repent? No, he's saying it's impossible for us to bring them to repentance. Let me read that again. It is impossible for those who have gone through all of this process, experienced all these things, if they fall away, to renew them to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God, and put him to an open shame. People who have made a public open profession of Christ and then turn their back on him, they bring shame to Jesus. And the world says, well, I guess that I don't really need to pay attention to that gospel anymore. What does God do about that? For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs Useful for those by whom it is cultivated receives blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed. Not cursed. It's near to being cursed. Whose end is to be burned. Now what's he talking about here? He's saying this. And of course all of these people are, if they are not farmers, they're part of an agricultural community. He doesn't need to explain Let's say you're a farmer and you've been growing wonderful, wonderful crops year after year after year from your fields. All of a sudden, those fields start producing briars and weeds and all this stuff that you don't want. Do you stand as the farmer at the edge of your field and say, I hate that plot of dirt. 
No. You say, I hate the fruit that I'm seeing come from it. And so a farmer does what? He burns it off. Now, he's not comparing the readers of this letter to the fruit. He's comparing them to the field. Well, why does a farmer burn it off? It's so he can turn it back into being productive again. And I've seen, I mean, I used to live in an agricultural community. I've seen this happen where form a really good hay field is not doing its job anymore. And so the farmer will burn it off and sow fresh seed into it. He doesn't hate the ground. He wants to return it to its production. And he's comparing them to the ground. And so what happened, by the way, let's turn this for do a cross reference here. Turn back to Matthew chapter 18. And I happened to mention this in the uh, Sunday school class where we're half, about halfway through Paul's letter to the Ephesians. You know, in the, all of the gospel accounts, you only find the word church three times. In all four Gospels, you find the word church three times. They're all in Matthew. The first one is Matthew 16. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all have Jesus asking the question to the, of the apostles, who do men say that I am and who do you say that I am? And Peter confessing you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. But only Matthew adds what follows. Good one, Peter. That's my paraphrase. <laughs> you are Petros. You're a fist-sized stone. And on this Petra, which is the feminine form of the same word, this gigantic rock of Gibraltar-sized boulder, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The word is only used in one other, other passage, two chapters later in Matthew 18. Beginning in verse 15. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. By the way, in this entire passage, it's never questioned whether this person is an authentic brother. He's brother, 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 brother. You've gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word will be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. And now, I'm, I'm my, this is my conjecture. I think the apostles are like, okay, we know the meaning of that word. But that's not our standard word in our religious community for a gathering synagogue. But Jesus doesn't use the word synagogue. He uses the word church. Tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him become to you like a heathen. Not a heathen. Don't call him a heathen or a tax collector. Uh-uh. No, like a heathen, which means you put him out of the body. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What's he saying? If you have a brother... In your congregation who is hard-hearted, who is adamant, who will not repent of whatever the issue is, what do you do? You put him out of the church. Why? Because you don't want to be hanging around when the lightning strikes. That's why. And it is evidence to that person, that man or that woman, it is evidence to them that what they have done, the course they've chosen to follow, 
is not acceptable. And you don't want to be here. And you're saying, okay, you're over there. We're over here. Is it so they will be destroyed? No, it's so they will take seriously what you've said. So that they will take seriously God's standard, what God says, and repent. And repent. There's an episode that the apostles talk about where this fellow repented and he came back to the church and they wouldn't let, and the apostle, right? What in the world are you thinking? Welcome him back. Because he went out and <laughs> apparently some form of lightning fell and now he's repentant. Let him come back. You should embrace him. And so what we find here in Hebrews 6 If, it is if they have tasted the good word of God and so on, if they fall away, it is impossible to renew them to repentance. He's talking about it's impossible for us. We can't fix them. I'm sorry, folks. I can't fix you. I'm sorry. You can't fix me. The only fixer is God. It is if they fall away, it is impossible to renew them to repentance since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those for whom it is cultivated receives blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and, very, and near to being cursed. It's not cursed. Whose end is to be burned. Why? To bring it back to productivity. To bring it back to the place where it is useful to our God. But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. What's he been doing? He's been rebuking them. Why? Because they closed their Bibles and they got dust covered and they've, they've actually gone backwards in their walk with Christ and he's rebuking them to incite them to pick up their Bibles, reopen them and get with the program. But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. And that is important. If you're trying to encourage someone, create a positive expectation for them. I have a positive expectation for you that you will hear what I'm saying and you will respond and you'll get with because people will respond much more likely to a positive expectation than, but I know I'm wasting my time. No. No. But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation Though we speak in this manner, I know I have just punched you between the eyes. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love which you have shown toward his name. I remember and God remembers your former loyalty to him. In that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. You have served one another. What is the number one proof of genuine Authentic Christianity in someone's lives. They become a foot washer. They become a servant of other people. 
they become a servant of other people. God is not, for, is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love which you have shown toward his name in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. We have an incredible expectation as God's people. We are going to be stepping into his banqueting hall. We're going to be there. That is our expectation. The world cannot rob us of that. We desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Who through faith and patience inherit the promises. I mentioned a little earlier uh, when our brother Gideon was making his presentation, the man who's been in our congregation three times, Bach Singh. Excuse me, Risham Raj Powdell, not Bach Singh. Uh, Risham Raj Powdell, the man who was the ninth person in Nepal to become a Christian. And he started as a Hindu Brahmin priest, waving his New Testament around to his Hindu audience, saying, hey, let me tell you what I've found. I found a God who's much better than the gods we've been worshiping. And that didn't go over very well with the Hindu elite. <laughs> so he got kicked out of the priest. But he kept preaching. He started going up and down the mountains of the most rugged. Uh, competes with Switzerland, is what, which is the most rugged nation on the planet. And he got arrested. And the first time he got arrested, they gave him no food or water for three days. And then they gave him a double handful of hot, 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 hot Asian peppers. And believe me. We're talking habanero plus. With the hope that when he ate those peppers, it would destroy his digestive system. And he said, Lord, I'm your disciple. I'm asking you to take the heat out of these peppers. That's all he got for 30 days. And they were never hot. The third time they arrested him, they put a board against the side of his right knee thinking, well, we can't stop him from preaching, but we can stop him from walking. And so they completely smashed his right knee. And I've told this story dozens of times. I'm going to tell it again. Bear with me. They completely smashed his right knee. And he said, three months later, I walked out of that prison. And he sat down on the platform at our church, pulled up his pant leg, can turn his lower right leg 90 degrees that way, 90 degrees that way, put it back straight, stand up and walk on it. He said, I've actually had more problems with the other leg. And he's walked all over Nepal for decades with that leg. And a, a doctor up in Maryland said, I've got to x-ray that. And he x-rayed it and said, Risham, the only thing holding the bottom of your leg to the top is your skin. They arrested him. He lost count 27 or 8 times. They couldn't stop him. And everything they did, they couldn't stop him. That's a testimony. He persisted through faith and patience. Persistence. 
I can't even imagine the kingdom glory that man who went from being literally in the Hindu pantheon. He was a god and he threw away godhood to be a servant of Jesus. Well, if he can do that, how about us? Let's pray together. Our Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit would incite us to take to heart what he showed us today, that we might absolutely blow whatever dust there may be on our Bibles off the Bibles, and that we would wear them out. Wear out our Bibles pursuing you and so that you can show us your face on the page of Scripture. Show us your ways. Show us your promises. Show us who you are and how we may walk with you because you, Jesus, said to those apostles and to us, go into all the world and preach the gospel and I will be with you even to the end of the age. So we are asking that we might be by the by your power, by your, the, your guidance, Jesus imitators. We ask this of you, good King Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.